Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today is study number four of Daniel chapter two. And we're going to be reading from Daniel 2, verse 19. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God for ever and ever. For wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise, and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might, and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. And I'll stop reading there. Now in our last study we were looking at verse 21 and discussing the first part of the verse that says, And he changes the times and the seasons. And we saw that that is speaking of God, uh, the personal pronoun he, is referring to God, and that God changes Satan's times and seasons. As King Nebuchadnezzar is a type and figure of Satan, who set a time for the execution of the wise men of Babylon, and it included all the wise, but but that would have meant that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, would have also been executed, God's elect. And so God intervened and changed Satan's program for destruction uh, of the times and the seasons. And uh, we also saw that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, in setting up a time and a season for the slaying of the wise men, was basically trying once again to show himself to be God because the time in the season is a synonym for judgment. And and he's trying to judge to destroy the people of God. He'll do it again in the next chapter with the image of gold and all are commanded at what time when you hear the sound of the music, to bow down. And if you fail to, you'll be cast the same hour, and that's a time reference, into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And and so he's continually attempting to destroy the people of God, and he sets times. And God changes the times and the seasons. No, his people will not be destroyed. And... In this case, God delivers his people through opening up information that was 
unknowable, impossible to know for them previously, but God revealed it through divine revelation. They are delivered from destruction according to Satan's plan, or King Nebuchadnezzar, who's a type and figure of Satan, and it all fits in and ties in with God delivering his people through the opening up of the scriptures at the time of the end, at the period of the Great Tribulation, to deliver the elect out of the church. And and it was Satan who had come to destroy the churches, to take peace from all the churches and congregations of the world, to remove salvation through bringing false gospels. And, and his intent was to destroy God's elect. Yet, God thwarted his attempt and did not permit it and delivered his people again by revealing to them Satan was the one ruling there. You must get out of the church. The Holy Spirit was no longer in the midst and, and therefore flee and go to the mountain. Okay. I, I think we, we covered that. Uh, pretty well. Now, let's go on to the next phrase in Daniel 2, verse 21, after it says, And he changes the times and the seasons, he removeth kings and setteth up kings. And we we only touched on this a little bit at the end of the last study, but it's really um, an important statement on several different levels, first in the physical realm, in the world itself, with earthly rulers, such as King Nebuchadnezzar. God is the one that established him, that um, actually brought him against his own people of Judah. Remember what the Bible says concerning God's relationship with King Nebuchadnezzar in Jeremiah 25 and in verse 9 it says, Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith Jehovah, and Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and a hissing and perpetual desolations. It was God's purpose, and King Nebuchadnezzar was established in a position of power and rule and for accomplishing God's purpose as his servant to bring destruction. And and so God set up that evil king, that is, God simply allowed him to rise and to become the king of Babylon, and yet he was God's servant. And, you know, this isn't surprising, because in Romans 13, the Lord tells us, Something that, that really, uh, impacts all people. 
in all the world, and especially the elect people of God, as we live in the world and, and in the nations of the world. Of course, there are elect in, in every nation, and in the nations of the world, there are many different types of government, many different political philosophies. Uh, there, there are uh, communist nations, there are dictatorships, uh, there are socialist nations, there are republics, and, and so forth. And, and we tend to look at the nations and, and we, um, prefer one system of government and we might think, well, now that's a godly system of government. And, and then we see others, uh, run by tyrants and maybe even a king, a monarchy. And we say, no, we, we don't think that's a very good system. But no matter what we think about it, here's what God says concerning all governments and their rulers in Romans 13, beginning in verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now, these statements are God's statements. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. There is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. God set them up. The president, the the king, uh, the precept, or whatever they call themselves, they rose to power, and maybe they rose in a ruthless way to power. Uh, however they did it, they're still the one in power, and God says, do not resist them. If you do, you're resisting the ordinance of God. And the word in verse 1, the powers that be are ordained of God. The word ordained is the same that we find in Acts 13, verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord and as many as were ordained to eternal life believe. And, and we know that that has to do with God's election program. He ordained those to be saved. And so the word indicates an appointment made by God himself that, and, and we understand that when it comes to salvation, that God foreordain. He chose certain ones. Well, it's the very same idea with God ordaining the the rulers, the, the powers that be that are leading the governments of the world. God has established them. He has appointed them to rule, to be in that position of power. Now, sometimes 
the earthly rulers are not um, the best of men. And, and the Lord doesn't try uh, to hide that at all. Actually, in our verse, going back to Daniel 2, in um, verse 21, He removeth kings and setteth up kings. The same Hebrew word or, or Aramaic word, setteth, is, uh, and it's 6966 in a concordance, is translated as appointeth, also in Daniel, in chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. It says, O thou king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom, and majesty and glory and honor, and for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would he slew, and whom he would he kept alive, and whom he would he set up, and whom he would he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild asses, they fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. Now notice that the the word setteth up here is translated appointeth, the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he setteth up over it whomsoever he will. Uh, it's unbecoming for someone who claims to be a child of God, someone who claims uh, to be one himself appointed by God, ordained by God for for eternal life, to criticize or fight against a ruler ordained by God to their particular position of power. Now, just think, uh, when if we ask the question, who does God have mercy on? According to Romans chapter 9, it's whomsoever he will. And who does God set up as a ruler? The same answer, whomsoever he will. And, and fighting against it is fighting against the will of God. It's, it's fighting against his sovereign right. Uh, just as people fight against God in matters of how he saves, they don't like uh, that that God ordains just certain people, that they themselves, um, or they want all men to to be able to choose salvation. Well, they're they're fighting against the will of God. Well, likewise, if we fight against an earthly ruler established by God th- through whatever means, whatever the process was, it doesn't matter if he is able to finally get to a position of power 
Well, ultimately, God set him there, and and and, and it's it's fighting against the divine counsel of the Lord. It says in Daniel four, and verse seventeen, this matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. God will give rule to whomsoever he will. He will have mercy upon whomsoever he will. He is sovereign. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. His decrees are not to be questioned, nor fought against, whether it be spiritually or in the earthly realm, in the affairs of men. We're we're not to take up that kind of battle. It's not for us anyway. Leave the political world, leave the earthly matters to the men of the earth. Let them argue and fight and dispute over... Uh, who will rule over them, uh, because that's their main concern. Their chief focus is this world and this life. And so it has everything to do with how they live their life in this world, which is everything to them. But this world is not everything to God's people. Now, a second way of looking at the statement that God removeth kings and setteth up kings is regarding Satan himself. And we're not going to get too far into this, except we know that when Satan was loosed, he took his seat in the temple, showing himself that he was God. Revelation 13 tells us, when the beast came up out of the sea, that's another picture, uh, really uh, a picture God painted, describing the loosing of Satan. Well, then it was given unto the beast to make war with the saints and to overcome them. That is, God gave Satan rule once he overcame the church. He officially became the ruler within the churches and congregations of the world. And he became the king over the the churches, as it says in Revelation 17, beginning in verse 8, The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition, and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is, is not, and yet is. And here is the mine, which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. Uh, Then it says, verse 12, And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings, one hour with the beast. It, it is describing 
Satan's rule over Babylon, the, the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of darkness, and once he overcomes the churches, the camp of the saints, he rules over the congregations. And so God's people could not submit to Satan's rule within the church because that would involve matters of, of faith, matters of doctrine, and, and uh, we, we could not give in on any point of doctrine. God, though, commanded his people come out of the church in the world. In the world. And, and so, out in the world, Satan was ruling, and it was as though we came under his authority. Just as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego entered into Babylon from Judah and came under the power and authority of King Nebuchadnezzar. So there, there is a similarity there, and and so we uh, occupy uh, while in the world uh, during the Great Tribulation. We obey the laws of the land, insofar as the laws are in agreement with the supreme law, the law of God, and we we always want to submit to all things lawful, and again. Uh, a child of God has no problem with submitting to laws that are um, not violating the law of God, the Bible. So if a government, for instance, wants to, to establish the speed limit very low, we submit. Or if they want to lift it very high, okay, we submit. It, it's their right to do. Or if they want to tax us very low, Okay, or very high. Well, it is their right to do. There's nothing that violates the law of God through taxation and, and so forth and all things lawful. If they tell us to cross the street at the end of the block where the light is, that's where we want to cross the street. But of course, if a government says that uh, you have a child, but uh, you cannot have a second, and and then our wife is pregnant with a second child, and they say you must abort it. No, I'm sorry. We we desire to obey the government and submit to the government in all things lawful according to the law of God. But God says we're not to take life. Thou shall not kill. And, and he, he also tells us to be fruitful and multiply and so forth. So it would be going against the law of God to abort this child. We cannot do it. Well, then you must pay a fine. You must go to prison. All right. That is the government's ability. It, it, they have the authority. They can penalize if they want, but we will not submit on that point or any point, although respectfully, as as the three uh, young Hebrews will demonstrate in the next chapter, Daniel 3, when they're commanded to do something contrary to the law of God and bowing down to an idol, they refuse and suffer the consequences. Now, God protected them through the consequences of being cast into the burning fiery oven, but 
but still they they did suffer the consequences and we have to be willing to do the same thing okay let's let's go back here again and continue in daniel 2 verse 21 god removeth kings and setteth up kings and and just a third way of looking at that is spiritually god is the one that establishes salvation for his people he he is the one who typifies those that he saves as saved as prophets priests and kings so he sets up spiritual kings and also those that that profess to be true believers or profess to be kings and god puts them down remember king saul king saul is an example of of someone who was a king and god removed god took away the throne from him and his family and gave it to another better than himself he gave it to david and his line and and so that would point to salvation as it says in Psalm 144.10, it is he that giveth salvation unto kings. And, and that points to God's elect. Okay, let's look at the uh, next part of the verse. And it says, he giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. God gives wisdom to the wise and God gives knowledge to them that know understanding. This verse is a little surprising to us because we might think that God would give wisdom to the fool and and through the giving of wisdom he makes someone wise. Or we would think that God gives knowledge to them that lack understanding. And you're, you, you sort of grow into knowledge and and from a fool you become wise but but that's not god's emphasis here he's speaking of the process after salvation because it is true that we're all unsaved and lack wisdom and understanding in our unsaved condition that is all of god's elect were once children of wrath even as others and then God saves us and he gives us uh, Christ, the spirit of Christ. And Christ is the essence of wisdom. And, and so we possess wisdom and Jesus would also be the essence of knowledge and knowledge. But here God is um, speaking of revealing truth. That's what Daniel 2 is concentrating on that they lacked understanding concerning the dream and the interpretation, God is granting, he's giving them understanding concerning this dream and interpretation, which points to giving knowledge of the Bible to the elect of God during the time of the end. And, and so God says he gives wisdom unto the wise. And, and that fits with statements like in Daniel 12, none of the wicked will understand, but the wise will understand. Or 
a wise man's heart discerneth time and judgment. Because God gives wisdom to the wise. Uh, you know, he can't give wisdom to the fool if the fool is not already saved. That is, God cannot impart spiritual truth, um, really, to someone who's in an unsaved condition. They have no receptor for it. They, they have no ability to receive it. They're, they have a natural line. And so the spiritual things uh, just cannot penetrate the natural mind. They, they cannot be grasped and held on to by the unsaved individual. It requires salvation. It requires someone be already wise in order for them to understand time and judgment, to discern, to uh, come to understanding in other spiritual things. And, and, and so here, God is laying down an important principle and really, it's a principle I was surprised at, um, how much it's repeated in the Bible. Now, it's not said this same way. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. But it is said um, again and again. It, it's really the same thing. If we go to Mark chapter 4. It says, beginning in verse 24, And he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear, with what measure ye meet. It shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath to him shall be given, and he that has not from him shall be taken even that which he hath. You see, God here is saying, if you have already, that is, if you're already wise, then you can, you will have more. Wisdom is given to the wise. You'll, you'll, and if wisdom is given to the wise, you'll be wiser. You'll, you'll have, uh, more possession of understanding and knowledge. And, and and so this is the biblical principle that God gives to him that already has. And and again, uh, that means God grants understanding or a growing in grace and knowledge of the word of God to someone who is already saved. Yet, on the other hand, he that has not, that is, he's not actually saved, from him shall be taken even that which he hath. So, uh, this would uh, relate to people within the church that are professed Christian, and, and they possess knowledge of the reformers, the commentaries they read, the pastors they hear, their own reading of the Bible. They, they of course, have heard doctrine and, and they learn some doctrine. But there comes a point, there comes a time when 
that which they have is taken from them. So, so they, they lack even that which they had, which, um, they already had not because they weren't saved. They just possessed a sort of intellectual knowledge about certain truths, but even that is taken from them. And it's not just people in the church. It's not just people that go to church that this happens to. It says in Matthew 13, in Matthew 13, starting in verse 10, and here um, Christ is asked why he speaks in parables, and the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given. There, There's that principle again. Whoever has will be given. And he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Again, God is restating it. He's also adding that uh, the one who has will have more abundance. Now, that's uh, an important statement. Uh, for instance, this word abundance, which is uh, in the Greek concordance, 4052, is found in John chapter 6 in verse 11. And Jesus took the loaves... And when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. Therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Over and above is abundance. It's the same Greek word. Over and above is a translation of the same Greek word translated as abundance. So we see that Jesus fed the multitude, and then they gathered up the fragments and they had uh, much left over. Remember, it says in Matthew 14, in verse 17, And they say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake and gave the loaves to his disciples, and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled, and they took up of the fragments that remain twelve baskets full. And the word remain. The bread from the loaves already fed the multitude, and, and they all had sufficient, they all had enough, but 
there were baskets left over. It says in verse 21, and they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. It's the same thing in uh, Matthew 15, where another multitude is fed. The same word is used. The baskets that are left over, the remainder, are the abundance. So you feed the multitude, but look, there's bread to spare. And, and that's the idea of what God is saying, that the word of God will be available to the elect, those that are truly saved. And notice that this this idea of giving to him that has is related to the Bible. It's related to understanding scripture, to knowledge, to wisdom. That's what was in view again in Mark 4, verse 24. You don't have to turn back there. But it said unto you that here more shall be given. For he that has to him shall be given. So we know that when the Bible speaks of hearing, it's hearing the word. And also in Matthew 13, it had to do with parables. Whosoever has to him shall be given. It's given to you. It said in the previous verse to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. To understand parables. To understand the Bible, because the whole Bible is a parable. So this principle, um, if you have, you will you will receive more. More will be given, and if you have not, even what you have will be taken from you. This principle has to do with Bible knowledge. It has to do with understanding the Word of God, understanding the hidden truths, the mysteries of the Bible. And that's what's in view in every case. For instance, if we turn to Luke 8, it says in verse 16, No man, when he has lighted a candle, covereth it with a vessel, or putteth it under a bed, but setteth it on a candlestick, that they which enter in may see the light. For nothing is secret, that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid, that shall not be known and come abroad. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. And, and again, God is speaking of things that are secret, things that are hidden, but will become known. And then he mentions, take heed how you hear. And, and, and remember when Christ would speak a parable, he, he would say, who, whosoever has ears to hear, let him hear. It, it's a clue phrase that, that indicates, look for the deeper spiritual meaning. And again, again, the same statement is made. Take heed how you hear, who, whosoever hath to him shall be given and whosoever hath not from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have now the word seemeth in luke 8:18 8, is 1380 in 
Strong's. It's translated as thinketh in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. If any man thinketh, he standeth. Take heed lest he fall. You know, you can think you're a Christian. You, you can believe it in your mind. And yet you're not. You're not uh, the true sense of the word. Not truly born again. It's also translated as supposed and of reputation in Galatians to them which were of reputation. You're, you have a reputation to be a Christian because you go to church or you call yourself a Christian or you post scripture or on Facebook or whatever it is. You're of reputation uh, or in James, it, it says if any man seem to be religious, but bridles not his tongue, his religion is vain. So you, you again, seem to be. And, and so it is here, from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. Here's a man that was a family radio listener, or maybe heavily involved in family radio, and he seemed to know all kinds of truth, all kinds of of deep, hidden things of God, of the mysteries of God. He understood the nature of the Bible, the spiritual meaning of things, and and yet, take heed how ye hear. Take heed, that's a warning. Watch out, watch out, because the Bible's principle is... There will come a time when, if you have, you'll receive more. But if you have not, that is, you were never really saved. You were never born again. There is no substitute for being born again. You you can pick up every spiritual um, uh, Bible study, or or you can listen and and on one level. It's as though you're learning, you're seeming to have, you're, you're seeming to get it, to understand the deeper spiritual things of God and, and you can speak with other people and, and you can, uh, really appear, really appear as though you have, but actually it was, as God says, uh, you only seem to have. You, you only seem to have it. You never really did. And so comes the time when it's taken from you, even that which he seems to have. Now, why do I keep saying comes the time? Well, because when we check this out further, this phrase of God giving to one that has and taking from one that has not, it ties in with Judgment Day. In Luke chapter 19, and the parable of the ten pounds, it, it says in um, uh, verse 12, He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. 
And it came to pass that when he was returned, now when, when would that be? Well, it's speaking of Christ coming in judgment, when Christ returns. But just keep in mind that Christ can return spiritually, as he did when judgment began on the church, and when he did when judgment began on the world on May 21, 2011. But nevertheless, let, let's continue reading. It came to pass when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound has gained five pounds. And he said, Likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he said unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury? And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Now you see uh, how that statement fits in, in the context of Judgment Day itself. Notice that when the pounds were given, uh, uh, this servant was received his pound, and that servant received his pound, there was multiplication of the pounds in the typical um, task that that they were given. The one gained, the first one gained ten, the second one gained five. But the statement concerning giving to the one that has and taking from the one that has not, it is not referring to the uh, usual period or the, the period wherein the pound was entrusted to them to see what they would do with it. No, it wasn't the the king who gave them the the ten pounds or five pounds, and the king had also not taken the single pound from the one who laid it up in a napkin and, and didn't do anything with it. So there was no giving by the king or taking by the king during 
the period wherein they were to work, wherein they were to labor in occupying. And, and, and again, since the statement related to um, giving and taking has to do with the word of God, the Bible, so does the occupying with the pounds. It, it involves digging into the word of God and, and coming to the knowledge of truth and sharing that information with others. The, the whole task that God, um, gave to his people throughout the church age and throughout the latter rain period. But then God came to judge. He came to judge the world. And it's judgment day, the time when the all those that were given the pound, there were entrusted as stewards of the mysteries of God, in other words, that God comes and says, what did you do with it? And when uh, the one servants that had done well, it's found out, well, they did do well, and they multiplied the pound. Well, all right. They are given more. They're given more. The one had ten, and the and then when the king uh, sees that there was a man who laid up the information, he did nothing with it. It's taken from him. It's taken from him and given to the one with ten, and now he has eleven. And the one who had uh, the individual who had the single pound now has none. It, and it, judgment day is the time when there's an increase, an increase given of knowledge to the elect of God, to the one who is wise already because he possesses the spirit of Christ. Wisdom is granted further. And judgment day is also the time on the other hand, when the people who possessed understanding of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven and were also entrusted to be stewards of those mysteries, they lose even that which they seem to have. It's the time God takes away understanding from those that gave every appearance that they possessed understanding and knowledge. You, you see how God is, is saying that here. And, and so when we see in our present time, and, and it's, it's continuing on. It's been happening since May 21, 2011. We see people who once had discernment concerning time and judgment and, and then Oh no, May 21, we're all wrong because they didn't see anything with their physical eyes. It, it was just completely off and, and now they say, well, since May 21 was off uh, and the church age and the great tribulation and, and I, uh, you know, uh, this was a, uh, easily able to be seen. We, we discussed this years ago. Once you lose sight of the timeline concerning the completion of the Great Tribulation and Judgment Day, you'll lose sight of other things like the Great Tribulation and and the time for that. And if you lose sight of that, you lose the 
the end of the church age doctrine. And that's exactly what's happened. It's a process of unraveling. It's like when you pull the thread and the garment starts to fall apart. It's happening with those that seem to have knowledge and understanding because they never really did. And the fact that it's happening is in keeping with what we would expect in the day of judgment according to this parable of the pounds. Well, someone might say you can't just base it all on a single parable. Well, how about if we look at another parable in Matthew 25? We're not going to have time to uh, get thoroughly into this. But in Matthew 25, it says in verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then uh, if we skip down to verse 19, it says, After a long time the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them, and 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 so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. Keep in mind, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, stewards, of the mysteries of God, and it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And then the same with the one with two talents. But then comes the one who received the one talent. And he says in verse 25, And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, here thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest, therefore, to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take, therefore, the talent from him, and give it unto him, which has ten talents. For unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath, and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, now again, judgment day. Verse 30 confirms it. The outer darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we've done previous studies where we see that that language identifies with immediately after the tribulation when the, the world is darkened. The sun, the moon, the stars, are, are the light is gone. And, and so the unsaved are living in a dark world. It's outer darkness outside the kingdom of heaven. 
God has brought the world into the condition of hell. It, it is judgment. Now, uh, if we take a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, it says, and, and I never uh, noticed this before, but it says in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Notice, there is no knowledge or wisdom in the grave. And the grave is synonymous with hell. There there is no knowledge or wisdom because when the time of judgment comes, God takes the wisdom and knowledge. He takes understanding away from those under his wrath. And, and, and so as we go through the time of judgment, as we go through this period, there will be no wisdom or knowledge or understanding of the mysteries of the, of the Bible with those that are unsaved. It will be taken from them. Of course, that's a process that, again, some can seem to have understanding of the mysteries. But finally, it will be taken because there is uh, no knowledge or wisdom in the grave. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.